Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember the sun and the light, and the moon and the stars are darkened when the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the window are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and the tares are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and the desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bow is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the, ma- at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God, who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. Um, God, I'm grateful for Parker and uh, for April. And God, just um, for the gifts that both of them are to our church and for their lives that they were born. And uh, God, for um, this week, um, for every... Um, law enforcement officer, every nurse, every EMT, God, every public servant who is expected to, to get up and serve in the midst of um, some crazy conditions. God, we're grateful for their sacrifice. Um, but ultimately, as we fix our gaze on your word, God, we're grateful for your sacrifice, um, that the gospel and the good news of what you've done is on every page. And God, today, as we specifically focus on our lives wasting away, um, God, I pray Um, That someone in here that does not know you, God, that their spirit would be made alive, that they would be born again, and that they would begin to be renewed day by day until they meet their Savior and their Lord. Um, God, if there's anyone in here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that today would be the day um, that they repent of their sin and put their faith in you. God, for the rest of us um, who have been purchased by your blood already, um, God, and quickened by your spirit to trust in you, God, I pray that you would make us more like your son. Um, advance your kingdom and uh, your gospel over these next few minutes. And uh, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, buddy. You can have a seat. All right. Well, as we look at this text, let me just give a, a disclaimer at the beginning. Um, one of the, the adjectives or one of the kind of the knocks on the book of Ecclesiastes is that a lot of people think it's very depressing. Um, it is very true that it's, it's, it's blunt, life's truths are, are just presented to us very bluntly and frankly. And I think we've all seen that in this study as we walk through this, um, that the idea that we're not going to be remembered, you know, past the, the second or third generation after we're gone, the idea that um, our um, greatest satisfactions can't come from wealth or relationships or our jobs or from anything under the sun um, have been blunt, but I haven't found them depressing. Um, in fact, if, if you receive them and take them, if you have ears to hear, they're actually kind of free. Um, I've got no disclaimers for this passage other than it's, it's intense. Um, it's not going to make you feel good. Uh, we are talking about um, old age and how all of us are getting there and how all of us are on this journey. I think we've, we've talked about it a couple of times in this series, but um, on average, scientifically, the 27 is the average age where your body starts... Um, to lose more cells than it's making, which is crazy to think about, that it's just the beginning of the end from then on. And, um, 
It's, it's wild. And Solomon's going to just lay all of this out before us. And, uh, but at the same time, there's a redemptive hope in this, that if we see it, if we receive it, if we have ears to hear it, um, there's some gospel hope for us in the midst of this. Um, that praise God that in Christ, that our time on this earth is, is not the end for us. Um, that as we sing about it, um, Paul says that it's actually better for us to go. He says that dying is gain. Um, and to depart and be with Christ is far better. And um, we can have hope in the midst of this um, as we look at this passage. Um, but I'm praying that the Lord would use it for all of us. And the context that we're going to look at is if you remember, um, all throughout this book, Solomon has been carefully telling us that nothing under the sun is ever going to do it for you. No amount of wealth, no amount of significance, no amount of pleasure, nothing's going to do it for you. And as he's ending the book, we kind of got into this interesting section in chapters, you know, end of 9, 10, and 11, where Solomon has kind of stopped giving us um, the different things under the sun that aren't going to do it for us and just started giving us wisdom. Hey, now that you know that your job will never satisfy you and your relationships will never fully and finally satisfy you, they're great things. They're not evil things. They're not bad things. They're good gifts from the Lord, actually. But they make terrible gods. So now that you know not to put those things on the pedestal, let me give you some wise wisdom for living. And he says, now that you know that you could live your life as intentionally and as carefully and as you know, faithfully as you can to Christ, and you could die young. You could work really hard and still end up being not so well off financially. You could not work hard and you could be well off financially. You could, you know, be righteous and it feels like you're living the life of someone and experiencing the circumstances of what the wicked people should feel. And you could also look around and see people who are very wicked. And it looks like that they're living the life of the righteous. And he says, just because of all of that could be true, and just because all of that is true in a lot of cases, God's sovereign over it all. Trust him and don't live your life in fear. Right? He's told us, Get married. Have a family, Lord willing. Be single if the Lord's called you to that. Live your life unto the glory of God. Don't let the fear of what might happen cripple you today. And then last week was a really awesome, interesting case on decision-making. Um, if you are um, someone who would say, hey, I need some help in the area of just being more decisive, um, I found last week's passage insanely helpful that in the midst of all of these unknowns, there's some things that are predictable. There's a lot that's unpredictable. And then we trust the Lord in the meantime. We trust the Lord in, in the in-between. That God loves us. He cares for us. He's sovereign over our lives. He's a good father who longs to give good gifts to his children. And it was a good equipping, I think, for all of us. And Solomon ended that section and he started talking about the young and the old. And if you missed it in chapter 11, I want to read a couple of verses to you. In verse 8 of 11, it says this. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness, this is what he's referring to, to old age. Um, the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. We talked about that last week. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. And he's going to continue that thought today in chapter 12. This idea of, of the youthful life and all of this that's before us and the vibrancy and the energy and all of those things contrasting what he called the, dark, the days of darkness. Um, in verse 1, he's going to call them the evil days. But I promise there's a redemptive hope in the midst of this. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 12. He says this, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, 
and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So before we talk about the olden days, let's first address the youthful days. Children, students, young marrieds, young adults, listen up. Listen to what Solomon says in verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Don't buy into even the cultural Christian idea that, hey, just live your life how you want to now and you can get around to following God later. Solomon says, don't do it. It's a pretty sharp warning here. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Don't say, you know, this is my time, this is my season, and one day I'll get around to following the Lord and being used by him later in life. Solomon says it's foolish. Don't do it. And one of the things I've found is that sometimes we do this, children, students, sometimes we go, yeah, you know, I'll get serious about my faith later on in life. Some of that is rooted in this belief that, hey, God can't use me that much as a young teenager or as a child. And let me tell you, that is far from the truth. The enemy would love for you to believe that line. That as a second grader, as a third grader, as a sixth grader, that God can't use you right now in your life. I got to the privilege of doing student ministry here at this church for eight years. And I could tell you story after story after story of God using the faithful obedience of a teenager to impact his kingdom. Uh, we had a young student. Um, her name was Alyssa. She had childhood cancer. She had leukemia at a very young age. By God's grace, he sustained her life and saved her life under the sun. And Lord willing, saved her soul later on in life, which is phenomenal. Um, but she just all of a sudden, in the midst of middle school, just had a burden that she wanted to, to give back to St. Jude. And she's looking around and going, you know, I'm a, I'm a 12-year-old kid. Like, I, I don't have assets. I don't have, you know, things I can do. I don't have a business I can leverage for those things. But she said, hey, I can make lemonade. And her best friend, Ethan Willard, decided, hey, I can help out. And a month later, they had raised like $6,000 for St. Jude. Just because they were willing and able and wanted to do something. And Mackenzie Harris... She here, Mackenzie's here. I know she doesn't want to be on the spotlight, but Mackenzie, God just gave her this burden to help women and men who are dealing with an unexpected crisis pregnancy here in our city. She wanted to, to help them and then fight for the lives of these children and said, hey, I'm, I'm a 12-year-old kid. I don't have much, but I like to bake cookies and started baking cookies for the glory of God. And now, by God's grace, she's raised tens of thousands of dollars to help young moms and young dads get gospel-centered counseling and care and medical care and all of these things and, and resources and assets and diapers and all of the things that you need to raise a child. She's been a part of helping a great ministry in our city who does that. And I, and I hesitate to tell you those stories because I think a lot of times when we tell those stories, they're, they're good and they deserve to be told. But I think one of the dangers in telling those stories is that we start to believe, hey, that my difference doesn't matter unless it, it reaches a certain dollar amount or unless a certain amount of people are affected. And hear me, that's another lie from the enemy. As we tell a story of something good that he would want to whisper, hey, yours doesn't matter unless it only affects a certain amount of people. If your obedience as a sixth grader, as a seventh grader, as a ninth grader, changes one person's life, it matters, and it's worth it. God can use you and your faithfulness and your obedience, kids, students, to change your classroom, 
to change your neighbors, to change your cousins, to change your parents for the sake of the gospel. There's nothing more humbling as a parent to to see your child regularly open the word of God and read it to pursue intimacy with Christ. There's nothing more convicting as a parent when you look at your child setting the example. It's what Paul told Timothy to do in 1 Timothy 4. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and in purity. But don't believe the lie that God can't use you right now and you'll, you'll get serious about following God later when you have a job and have a career and have a house and have a car and have assets. God can use you now to change a classroom, to change a home, to change your street for the glory of God. But then a lot of times I think that we don't remember our creator in the days of our youth, um, if we're honest, because we love the world. Which shows that we've never been taught the joy of knowing and following Christ. Because kids, teenagers, there is incredible joy that this world cannot ever provide for you in following Christ now. There is unfathomable joy in following Christ at a young age, to have the safety of being under his care, to have your mind guarded by his word, to have your heart protected by the love of God and the assurance of his love, to have your mind steadied as you navigate middle school and high school, which is ruthless, by the way, but to have your mind steadied by the peace of Christ. There is incredible joy in following Christ in your youth. Why does Solomon tell us in our youth to remember Our creator, because why? What does he say in verse one? Because the evil days are coming. There are days coming that aren't nearly as pleasurable as being young and full of energy and vibrant and ready for anything. And Solomon's going to unfold them for us over these next few verses. But there are gonna be days, students, I know you don't believe this yet because I was you a couple years ago. There are gonna be days when you cannot run and play all day with no recovery whatsoever. And you just go, 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 go. And you don't have to recover at all. I was playing basketball last night and I'm still recovering from an injury in you know beginning of December. And I think I, I gained a new one last night. It's just the way it works. There's going to be days when your body doesn't function like it used to. There are days coming when you can't see like you used to and can't remember like you used to and can't Definitely can't eat like you used to, can't bounce back like you used to. Those days are coming. I had a buddy in college, um, his standard order at Subway was two foot longs and chips and a large drink. And we would eat there, you know, a couple times a week because it was on campus. I talked to him, he was at our house a couple weeks ago. Those days are long gone, long gone. They're just not there anymore. And I don't even think you can get a foot long. for You can't get any food for $5 anymore. So that's long gone too. Um, But then he says this in verse two. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So here's what I want you to see. As you look at this first eight verses, you can go, why in the world is Solomon talking about like grinders not working for him anymore and you know all of these pillars not being strong anymore and now you see that sun and light are gone? He's not saying that as you get older, like the sun's not gonna shine as much. Here's what I want you to see, that all of these eight verses are an allegory, that each of these different characters, each of these different things, these objects in the story are meant to represent something else. Does that make sense? 
So what he's saying here, he's, the context is youth and old age. The days of, of vibrancy and youth and energy and optimism versus the days of decay. And he says our youth is like the rain. If you think about it, rain makes things grow. Rain makes things be nourished. Rain refreshes. Rain brings vibrancy to things. And then Solomon says, in old age, these days that he calls, in verse 1, the evil days, when we say, I have no pleasure in them, he says, those days are like the sun and the light and the moon and the stars being darkened. And the clouds coming back after the rain has fallen. After the youth, you have this, this season where the sun and the cloud and the rain start to darken. I mean, there are days when I wake up and I look in the mirror and I say, the evil days have come. They have come, right? They just have. They're here. I have no pleasure in them, right? And then he says this in verse 3. He's going to keep going on with this thought. And the day when the keepers of the house tremble... And the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. And Solomon, what he's going to do here, he's going to liken your body to a house. And what he says here, that he says, the keepers of the house tremble. And most theologians think when he's talking about the keepers of the house, if you think about a housekeeper, they're working, they're moving, they're walking, they're working. What he's referring to is the keepers of your house are your arms and your legs, those things that you use to get work done to go places, to do things. And he says, the keepers of the house tremble, that those arms and those legs that used to be strong, that used to jump high, that used to run fast, that in the evil days, those things aren't gonna be as strong, not gonna be as fast. They're not gonna be as resilient. They used to be able to get a lot of stuff done and upkeep and little rest required. And then he says, but they're trembling now. And then he says, this strong men are bent, the men, the, the kind of the, the anchors of the house. Think about the anchors of your body, the, these big muscle groups, right? Your back, your core, your shoulders, all of these, these groups that support your arms and your legs. What does he say? They're bent, right? Back pain, regularly. Your shoulders, your core, all of these big muscle groups that used to be in their prime are not so prime anymore, are they? It's amazing to think about some of the professional athletes that we grew up watching in the prime of their careers, strong and fit, jumping high, running fast, being strong, and now fragile. And I know we can read about it, and I don't do this to, to make you feel bad or to shame you or anything, but I think a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, how many of you know who this boxer is who's going to be on the screen? Anybody know who this is? Muhammad Ali, in the prime of his life, vibrant, like untouchable untouchable float like a butterfly sting like a bee right just can't touch him fit strong fast quick can't even see the punch coming and then just like all of us age just happens and this is what used to be Muhammad Ali and we can read about it but it's, it's one thing to see it and go man this is happening we can't escape it. If you remember, uh, Muhammad Ali had a tremor in one of his hands where Solomon said that the keepers of the house start to tremble. And then he says this. He says, the grinders cease because they are few. Now, here's the thing. The grinders represent your teeth. 
What he's saying here is that in old age, you start to lose your teeth. Now, if you have to remember this and, and put this in the context of antiquity, in like before Jesus times, there was no great modern dental care. It was just expected and it was common that as you got older, you lost your teeth. And he says the grinders here, they cease because they are few. Now, there were certain plants and reeds and herbs and all of those things that they could eat for hygiene, but nobody was running down to the dentist to give it a cavity filled or a crown put in. It just wasn't happening. And he says that in those days, the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men are bent, the grinders start to cease, and then he says those who look through the windows are dimmed. What he's referring to there is your eyesight. That as you get older, things start to get blurry. And you got to pull out the readers. Amen? And we got to start to look at things like my mother does on her phone, like out here. And she says, fix this for me. And I, hand, I get handed the phone, and everything is zoomed in like 275%. And I go, Mom, you can't even see the button that you're supposed to push to get out of this setting. Because everything is zoomed in. But that's what Solomon's referring to. And then he says this in verse 4. And the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. So what does he mean by the doors on the street are shut and the sound of grinding is low? He's referring to the loss of hearing. That as you get older, you can't hear things like you used to. But then he says this, and I think this is, this, I find it funny. I, I love that the Bible is so real and is so honest about life. And he says, yes, your hearing starts to decay, but then one of the, the annoyances as we get older in life, he says, one rises up at the sound of a bird. How many of you have a child or a spouse that can sleep through absolutely anything? My wife raised her hand. Um, can sleep through anything. That it doesn't matter if there's sounds outside, it doesn't matter if there's a siren going off, it doesn't matter if there's a storm outside, it doesn't matter if they set their own alarm, that you're the one who wakes up, you're the one who has to turn it off, I'm guilty right here, you're the one who has to get up, and there's people that, especially in their youth, it's common where you can just sleep through storms and all of those things, especially as a teenager, you can sleep till noon through anything, and then there are people who rise up at the sound of a bird. How many of you wake up, if you hear one thing in the middle of the night, and your sleep is disrupted, and you're just, you're awake. Doesn't matter if it was 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Your, your worst fear is your neighbor starting the lawnmower at 7 a.m. on a Saturday, right? Because you know, as soon as it starts, you're awake. You're up, and there's no going back to sleep. And Solomon, he's painting this picture for us that our hearing starts to decay, but as we get older, our sleep is easily disrupted. The sound of your spouse shutting the cabinets too loud, your children turning the TV up too loud in the morning, whatever it is. And then he says this, all the daughters of song are brought low. And what he's referring to here is just the vibrancy of life that you can't go out like you used to, you can't sing like you used to, don't have the range that you used to, that our voices start to decay. And Solomon's just going one by one through each parts of our lives and looking at the fact that these days are coming. Verse five, he says, they're afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. So what is he saying here? 
He says, they're afraid of what is high and terrors are in the way. As you get older, and by God's grace, I pray that, that all of us in our church get to live and, and get the gift of living in our 80s and in our 90s. Um, but as you get there, one of the fears that you have is falling. It's regularly maintaining a high place. It's standing up for a long time and having to walk somewhere and having to get into buildings, and especially on days like today, having to safely get into places to not trip, to not fall. And he says that as we get older, our lives just naturally, and it's not a a lack of faith, it's just a a natural progression where we start to be more afraid of, of just normal things. Trivial things aren't as easy to us as they used to be, like walking and stairs and all of those things that we used to, to, to just take with ease, that we naturally start to, to have more to navigate as our bodies become more frail. And then he says this, the almond tree blossoms. Does anybody know what um, color an almond tree is when it blossoms? It's white. It blossoms white. He's referring to the gray and the white hair as we get older. Or the lack there of hair. Amen? But that's what he's referring to, that we start to, to become more afraid, that we start to, to risk falling, that our, our eyesight's deteriorating, our voice is deteriorating, our, our hearing's deteriorating, the almond tree starts to blossom, the grasshopper drags itself along, this animal that, that hops and is you know, full of energy and just skips through life is now dragging through life, once youthful, vibrant movement becomes old and painful. Children, this is why your parents grunt when they stand up. To go walk somewhere? Because why? The grasshopper is now dragging itself along. Amen? There's just things that we we can't do that we used to be able to do. You start to waddle like I do because of your back and your knees are hurting all the time. And then he says this desire fails. Um, your Your translation might actually say the caper berry fails. And you're like, how in the world do we get from a caper berry to desire? Um... Many of you know, we won't go into full detail, but the caperberry um, is an aphrodisiac. And what he's referring to is, is the desire for intimacy starts to fail as you get older. And I'll leave it at that, but you get the point that he's making. Um, and then he says this, man is going to his eternal home. Point blank. All of this decline ultimately culminates in death. And so Solomon starts to warn us, hey, this is where we're headed. Verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bro is broken, broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. What Solomon's doing here is giving us different pieces of a well. He's talking about the cord, the bowl, the pitcher, the wheel. What he's referring to is is this idea of, of gathering water. If you think about water, water is essential to sustaining life. That all of the elements needed to, to, to get water and to sustain life start to break. That our bodies and all of its elements that are meant to sustain our lives start to decay. And then he says this in verse 7, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Where do you think he got this phrase? Where do you think Solomon pulled from when he says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was? Solomon here is referencing the book of Genesis. If you think about it, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord God made man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
And if you remember, a couple chapters later in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin, when they disobey God, what's the curse of the fall? Genesis 3, 19. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And Solomon says, hey, this is where we are all going. The dust is going to return to the earth, and the Spirit's going to return to God who gave it. Do not miss that last phrase. Believer or unbeliever, every single one of us in here is going to return to the dust, and our spirit is going to face our maker. We will stand before our Lord. We will stand before our Creator. If He's not your Lord and Savior, we will have to give an account for our lives. We will all stand before Him. God has given us life. He has breathed life into our nostrils. He has given us your spirit and your body. And one day you will stand before Him and give an account for your life. And then Solomon ends this section with vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Meaningless of meaningless, all is meaningless. Now here's what I want you to see. As a believer... There's great hope for us in the midst of this. There is great hope for the midst of this. In fact, as I read this, and I, and I feel and I experience some of the things that Solomon's talking about, the longer I live this life under the sun, man, the more I look forward to, to meeting Christ. Not the less. The longer my body starts to decay and the longer you know, things start to get just really weary and tired and don't function like they used to, the more I look forward to meeting my Savior and Him making all things new. But if you don't have that assurance and that eternal life of knowing Christ, this is a scary reality. This is a scary reality. And I won't belabor the point. There's a man, his name is Brian Johnson. Um, Out of all of the meetings that we've had, teaching team meetings throughout this you know, multi-month study through the book of Ecclesiastes, there's one guy whose name has come up in the midst of, you know, the most in all of our meetings, and it's this man named Brian Johnson. Um, Brian, you know, sold a tech company years ago for hundreds of millions of dollars and has essentially kind of self-curated this thing that he calls the blueprint. And he is not a believer, atheist at best, doesn't believe in the Lord, and his goal is to, to do everything that he can with all of the wealth that God's given him to essentially change the, the trajectory of his body. He thinks that with enough money and with enough time and with enough care, he can turn the algorithms of his body to start working backwards. And he is dedicated. He is so afraid of death that he has dedicated his entire wealth and his entire life to reversing his age. Now, <clears throat> all of this comes with you know some caveats. And Time Magazine did a... a thorough article on this, and there's some things in it that aren't necessarily appropriate for kids and students, so I decided not to to quote it or anything like that. But essentially, he allows this young lady who works for Time Magazine to come in and and meet and and sit through a day with him and his assistant. And it's super fascinating. He doesn't go outside. He's using, you know, these different light therapies all day long. Um, He doesn't see any sunlight. He's, you know, exercising multiple times a day. He doesn't eat any good food. He eats this blended kind of goo junk. And he's, he's so afraid of dying that he's not living at all. That he is so afraid of one day dying 
that in his attempt to not die, he's not even living. And she starts to ask him, like, all of the questions we would think of. Like, you still go places. Like, yeah, we still have to get out and do things. She's like, what if you get in a car wreck and all of this is just a waste? And he's like, yeah, that would be really embarrassing, wouldn't it? But he starts to call, you know, things like normal food, toxic to the body, and, you know, um, criminal to the body, and all of these kind of things. And this poor young lady who was his assistant, um, he's now divorced from his wife. Who, this lady who was his assistant is now participating in the blueprint and trying to, to do the same thing to win this man's approval. And he's, he's so afraid of death. And I think I can say this confidently. If you're not a believer in the room, you might not be that afraid of death. But you are afraid of death. And you might question, okay, what happens after this? What happens after I die? Like, I can't physically stop what's happening. And neither can Brian, by the way. Because Scripture tells us, Brian Johnson, unless the Lord comes back before, Brian Johnson's going to die. His body's going to return to the dust. And coincidentally, he won't publish any of the medical findings that his personal team of doctors are finding. Other doctors are saying, hey, can we at least vet and evaluate all of the, the research you're gaining? And he's like, no, we're going to keep it to ourselves. But he will proclaim to you that he's decreased his you know, biological age from like 46 to 38 or something based on his own personal doctor's research. But nonetheless, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's, he's delayed his death a couple years. But Brian's not sovereign over his life. Brian could, could have a meeting with one of his doctors tomorrow. And they could say, hey, despite all that you've done, we found a tumor. He could have a heart attack tomorrow. And I don't say any of this to, to scare any of us. You know, Solomon's already been careful to tell us that none of this is meant to cause us to live in fear. But at the end of the day, we have to embrace the reality and the truth of Scripture. That we are all going to meet our maker one day. And I don't say this with any joy in my heart. I pray for Brian. Now that I've read the article, I pray that you know, he clearly is, is interested in having people come into his house and talk to him. I pray that a believer comes into his house and shares the gospel with that man. I don't take any joy in the idea of his spirit going to meet his creator and Brian having to, to endure the wrath of God towards his sin. I don't take any joy in that. And what I take much joy in is the writer of Hebrews says that since the children share in flesh and blood, since us as humans, as creation, we share in flesh and blood, he likewise, Christ, partook of the same things so that through his death, since he knows that we are finite beings, we are on our way to, to death and decay. Jesus Christ partook of the same flesh so that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power over to death and free us from the fear of death which would cause us lifelong slavery. Straight out of the book of Hebrews. That in Christ you don't have to fear your death at all. You don't have to fear it medically. You don't have to fear it circumstantially as you live your life for the glory of God. You can live your life with confidence knowing that, hey, that what's coming is far better than what's here. Far better. Amen? You know, there's a famous preacher who doesn't need to be named, but he wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. Right? 
And if you don't know Christ, let me just tell you, this is your best life now. This is as good as it's going to get. If you don't know Christ, this earth, this life, the gifts that God's given you are as close to heaven as you will ever get based on your own merit and your own effort. But if you know Christ, this is not your best life now. Your best life is next. And this is as close to hell as you will ever get if you've put your faith in Christ. This is as close as you get. If you are secure in what he's done, his finished work on the cross, and he holds you fast in his hand. He says, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. This is as close as we get. And this is not our best life now. The life to come is our best life. Solomon says in, in verse five, as we wrap up, that we are headed towards our eternal home. And the question this morning is, do you know where your eternal home is? Do you know where it is? Do each of you in this room know where your eternal, can you say with assurance, like Paul did in Philippians 3, that his citizenship is in heaven? Can you say that to live is Christ and to die is gain and being with Christ is far better than anything that this earth has to offer? Can you say that with confidence? Here's the, here's the deal. A perfect record is required to get into heaven. The only people getting into heaven are people with a perfect record. And the question is, how are you going to get that record? Are you going to try to earn it based on your own merit and stand before God one day and give an account for every thought and every desire and every action that you've ever committed? That's one option that you can try, but it will never work. Or you can fall at the feet of Jesus and trust in his finished work for you and receive his perfect record of righteousness. Every believer in heaven will have a perfect record, but it will not be one they've ever earned. It will be one that they've been given by their Savior and their Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what it means to come to faith in Christ. It's to say, I'm forsaking my record. I cannot save myself. I can't be good enough. I'm forfeiting my record. I'm repenting of my sin and I'm trusting in Jesus' perfect, righteous life and his innocent death and his resurrection on the cross in my place. His righteousness was for me. His death was for me. And now his resurrection can be mine by faith in him. That's what it means to come to faith in Christ. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. But our God is gracious and he loves you. And he's given us the gift of salvation in his son. Amen? And here's the deal. Until that day comes, and let me just end with, there's a day coming where your spirit will be with Christ the moment that you die. For the believer, our Savior is going to return and we will all receive a body that will not decay, that will not fatigue, that will not diminish, that will not grow weary, that will not lose function, a body that will not ache, will not be sore, will not break, will not be weak. But until that day comes, what do we do? Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians 4, says until that day comes, we do not lose heart. He says outwardly, we are wasting away. Amen? We sure are. Outwardly, we are wasting away. But inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For this light in momentary affliction of life under the sun. What's it doing? Is it meaningless? No. 
in and of itself. If this is all you get, yes, it's pretty meaningless. But if you know Christ, this light and momentary affliction under the sun is preparing you for what? For an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That every ounce of your pain, every ounce of decay, every soreness as you get up and try to move and live your life for the glory of God and for your faithfulness to Him and your obedience to His Word, every single millisecond of pain in your path of obedience is producing something in you. It's not meaningless. And God's using it to make you more like His Son. To create a, a, a greater longing for eternity and for, for your next life. To create more endurance and perseverance under trial and under, under suffering. So that the gospel can go to the ends of the earth. It's not going to get there without the perseverance of the saints. Taking the gospel to hostile, hostile places. And shedding their blood in the midst of opposition. And we've talked about this in the series. Many of us, God's not calling us to go shed our blood amongst the nations. He's just calling us to be bold enough to talk to our neighbor. He's calling us to be bold enough to, to talk to a coworker, to talk to one of your employees, to share the gospel with somebody that you're not getting along with, your family members. And every bit of this life under the sun is preparing for us this longing for heaven, this devotion to Christ, this affection for him, and this obedience to share the gospel with everyone we come in contact with. And what's going to be the power that's going to allow us to do that? The hope that we have that this life under the sun is not the end. God's given us our spirit, and in the gospel, he's given us, by his Holy Spirit, the ability to be born again. And we have this hope coming. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable, this life under the sun, this fallen human existence, these broken bodies, they don't inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body, praise the Lord, must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Here's our charge. My beloved brothers, this church, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, your labor is not in vain. Amen? Let's press on. Father, we're grateful for your word. God, as we face the reality that all of our lives are headed to dust. God, we can trust that every moment, every circumstance, every pain, every trial, God, you're using it to produce 
perseverance and faith in us for this eternal weight of glory. So God, help us to live in light of the end that all of our lives, as the quote says, will soon be past, but only what is done for Christ will last. God, we're grateful for these broken, feeble bodies that you've given us. God, that by your grace, you sustain them until the exact moment that you call us home. So God, we can trust you. Help us to be found faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond and worship.